for worship, and I want to um, invite you to, to join me in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and as you find your place there, uh, I just want to share a couple of things that are happening here during this Christmas season that I want to make you aware of. Uh, first off, right after the service this morning, we have a couple of exciting things happening. First of all, it's a Connection Sunday, and we're actually going to extend it, uh, not just this Sunday, but through the next couple of weeks, we'll have our tables out there with our upcoming classes so that you can be aware of uh, what is going to take place to our, during our 10 o'clock discipleship community hours uh, come January. Um, we also want you to know that, um, that during that time, we've got some information out there about um, a new adventure we're starting come January. Uh, we're going to be, as a church family, for all of you who want to participate, and we invite all of you to do so, we're going to be walking through each week um, in our own time of study, and then we'll, we'll be kind of doing some things on Sunday morning to just try to help encourage and spur us along. But we're going to walk through the New, New City Catechism in 2023. Now, for some, catechism might sound like a, a little bit of a scary term. You might be thinking, hey, we're Protestants here. What's, what are you talking about? Uh, but uh, catechism is just simply a way of learning the scriptures together, learning Christian doctrine together. And so I want to invite you, even if you're just curious and have some questions, stop by the table out there and take a look at them and, uh, and see what we'll be walking through in, in 2023 together. Uh, I know that you'll be encouraged and challenged. It's a great thing to do together as a family to help your kids learn the Word of God and get rooted and grounded in the faith. But whether you have kids or not, it, it will be a great uh, spiritually strengthening uh, exercise uh, for the year um, if you take some time to walk through that with us. The next thing I want to mention is that at 10 o'clock, so we'll have a little time uh, before the 10 o'clock hour to be out there kind of mingling around. I think there's some goodies too. At 10 o'clock, we have our kids program, so make sure you hang around and come back in. Our, our kids' Christmas program will take place, and then we'll have some more time after the kids' program before the 11 o'clock service. If you didn't get a chance to walk around to all the tables, you'll have a little more time uh, to do that. Finally, I just want to make mention, uh, of course, next weekend is Christmas, and you've probably already seen on your calendars that Christmas uh, Day is a Sunday this year, and so we're doing things just a little bit different. We're going to have our Christmas Eve service and our Sunday morning service, uh, and they'll both be sort of the same, the same worship and same message. Uh, the only difference between the two will be, uh, will be on Christmas Eve, we'll have our candlelight service. So we just kind of want to make you aware that we're going to kind of sync the two, uh, and, and they'll look almost identical, except for the candlelight service will be on Christmas Eve. So we invite you to, to join us and hope you can make it out uh, next weekend. If you found your place in Luke chapter 1, I want to read to you this beautiful passage that comes from the, the mouth of Zechariah as the Holy Spirit of God inspires him and gives him the words to richly glorify and worship and announce not only the forerunner of the Messiah, but the Messiah himself. And that's the title of today's message, is the announcement of Christmas. Please follow along as we read, beginning at verse 67, regarding Zechariah's announcement. Then John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant. 
the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This passage, this announcement from the mouth of Zechariah is first and foremost about John the Baptist, his son who had just been born. Do you remember Zechariah's situation? He's, <clears throat> he's been selected to be able to go in to the Holy of Holies, to make the sacrifice, to honor God. And as he's in the temple, an angel appears to him and he tells him that he would give birth, he and his wife would give birth to a son who would be the forerunner, the prophet, announcing the Messiah's birth. And John's like, or Zechariah's like, are you serious? We're old. I mean, let's be honest, for, for those of you who are, who are past childbearing years, that, that would be our response, right? I mean, like, uh, I mean, even if it is an angel, our natural response would be like, uh, you know how things work and uh, things aren't working like the way they did in our 20s. Maybe you could have brought that message a few years earlier. I, I, how are you going to make this happen? And so because of his unbelief, the angel said, you're, you, you're not going to speak now until your child's born. And so John comes out, and he can't speak, and everybody's wondering what's happened. And, and so for, for nine months, he's not able to utter a word. And finally, as John is born, and they name him, his, his first words as he begins to speak are these words of prophecy, these words of exaltation, these words announcing not only the forerunner to the Messiah, but a proclamation regarding the Messiah himself. In fact, in a way, Zechariah is announcing the announcer of Christmas as he tells them of his son and of this Messiah of whom his son would speak. You can kind of divide this passage into two parts. The first is a benediction where he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And he just kind of launches into this, this worship. And then the, the last part is sort of a, a prophecy declaring as he, as he changes to, to a second person uh, address in verse 76, declaring exactly what this Messiah would do. Some scholars have detected up to 33 possible allusions and quotations from this brief statement. Whether it's as many as 33, this, this section is packed with Old Testament references. And so as we walk through this text, uh, there are a few things that stood out to me about Zechariah's announcement. The first one is that it's a spirit-filled announcement. Zechariah's is a spirit-filled announcement. In verse 67, we're told really plainly that his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. So the Spirit of God came on Zechariah. This wasn't something he just made up. This wasn't like he's been thinking nine months about something good to say. What can I, what can I say that maybe will get written down in the scriptures? What, what can I say that will impress people with the spiritual lessons I've learned from my, my uh, angelically imposed 
uh, a ter- term of silence. No, no, no. This is, this is the Spirit of God comes on him, rushes on him, and these words were, were directed and given to him by God for this particular moment. The, the, word, the, 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 the verbs here are in the passive voice. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, indicating that this was God who was speaking through us. It's interesting, or through him. It's interesting that three different times in this chapter, we didn't read the, the whole chapter because it is 80 verses, and, um, and we do have other things this morning. But if you, if you read through, you'll read that in verse 15, you see John the Baptist uh, prophesied, um, uh, you see, in, um, uh, or was prophesied, you see Elizabeth, uh, you see Zechariah in verse 67. It's just the Spirit of God is filling each of these people for their message, for their mission, for their ministry. You know, there's one place in the New Testament where we're command to be, commanded to be filled with the Spirit of God. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. And the Apostle Paul tells believers there, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. And he doesn't really give a lot of explanation for how that works for believers today. But what he does say, what he does make clear is he gives the fruit of that. And if you read in those verses, it's chapter, it's chapter 5, uh, verses 18 through 21. And he gives the fruit of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. He says, you're going to be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. So being filled with the Spirit means that we're, we're going to be spiritually speaking truths and encouraging and building up others. He goes on to say that it will cause us to give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So being filled with the Spirit invokes a spirit of thanksgiving within our own hearts. And being filled with the Spirit also, according to verse 21, brings about a submission to one another in the fear of Christ. It brings about unity. Now, even though John did not have control over this situation, that the Spirit of God came to him, now as New Testament Christians, as those who have been given the Spirit of God, and we see that in Acts chapter 2, we can be filled with the Spirit. It's not just a a one-time thing that happens every now and then like it did with John or Mary or in the Old Testament. But God says as his people, we can be filled and led by the Spirit of God as we minister to one another, as we seek to build one another up. This proclamation... This announcement was a spirit-filled announcement. This was God speaking to his people. God intervening in this moment in history to say, listen, I'm about to do something amazing. And he did. The second thing that I noticed from this passage is that that it's a worship-filled announcement. It's a worship-filled announcement. And you can't help but see, just look and and hear the words of worship just spill forth from John. uh, I'm sorry, from Zechariah. Regarding his son, John, he says in verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He starts off with this announcement of just saying, God is blessed. I I just want him to be glorified. I just want to honor him. You know, you and I have a chance every single day to look around us and honor God for what he has done. Yes, I have to agree that this is a special and a unique moment for which John, uh, Zechariah, I keep saying John, for which Zechariah wants to just honor God and praise God. But you know what? It doesn't have to be those unique moments, those special moments for which our praise is reserved. John, Zechariah, wants God to be glorified and honored because of what he has done here and what he is about to do through Jesus Christ. And notice then he just lists all these things here. Verse 68 
says, Blessed be the God of Israel because... So he's going to tell us why he's blessing God. Because number one, he has visited his people. God, God came and intervened in history. God interacted and connected with his people. What a, what a joyful and a blessed thing that God came and visited. You know, during the, during the Christmas season, uh, sometimes we're going to get to see people that, that we haven't seen in a long time. Maybe some that we'd rather not see and we'd just as soon not see for another year yet. But sometimes you get people that will show up and, and at family gatherings or maybe just stop by your house to drop off some Christmas cookies. And it's a, it's a blessing to see them. You, you joyfully receive them. You, you're grateful that they came over, that they took the time to think of you. Here, he is grateful. Zechariah is rejoicing because God has visited his people. The precious truth about our Savior's birth is that, that Jesus Christ has, has visited us in person. God himself has come and visited his people. Verse 68 also says that he's redeemed his people. He has visited and provided redemption for his people. No longer were God's people to remain enslaved to sin. Sure, they were under the yoke of the Romans, whether they realized it or not, that wasn't their greatest issue. That wasn't their greatest need. This redemption that they most desperately needed involved their heart. And God was providing redemption for his people. His worship song continues in verse 69 where he says, He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That may sound like a like strange terminology to us. We don't necessarily speak that way. A horn of salvation. But this terminology is frequent in the Old Testament. David will often use the term in the Psalms to refer to the strength and the power of God. A horn is derived from, as you would imagine, from an animal's horns. Especially of a buffalo or an ox. And it symbolized strength and power. Some of you who have watched or maybe even been yourself to Africa, know that the African Cape buffalo is a dangerous, dangerous animal. When, when big game hunters go out after a, a Cape buffalo and they've seen the telltale signs of the animal getting agitated and being ready to charge and seeing the horns being swung back and forth, they know that, that, that there's something serious about to happen. That animal's horn is a deadly weapon for defense and vengeance. It's also an ornament of beauty. So when the Bible speaks of a horn, there's, there's so much packed into that metaphor. Strength and power, yet, yet beauty. The ability to defeat enemies. All of these ideas and thoughts are pictured here. And, and this horn of salvation speaks of Christ. The one who would defeat his people's enemies the one who would be victorious, the one who beautifully comes in love and grace to his people. Furthermore, this, this song of worship it reflects an acknowledgement that God is fulfilling his word. Verse 70, and again in verse 72, he alludes that, that God has remembered his holy covenant. And he's doing this just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. We touched on this last week. We must remember our God's a God who keeps his word. 
Our God is a God who does what he says he's going to do. Finally, we see in verse 71 a reference to being saved from enemies. Verse 72, that God's dealt mercifully. Zechariah understands as he makes this announcement regarding the announcer that, that God is coming to his people in a way that, well, he doesn't have to. He's coming to demonstrate mercy and grace and kindness and love, and, and he doesn't have to do it. I wonder this Christmas season whether your heart is filled with gratitude and with worship. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have trouble being grateful. My, my, my vision can be centered on the things that aren't the way that I want them to be. The things that I feel like maybe God owes me or the, feel, the things I feel like he needs to change, but he hasn't come through and changed them yet. And why not? It's easy to be a grumbler. It's easy to just walk down and, and it doesn't take much, but just a, a little a little twinge of jealousy. Like, why are things going so good for, for them? They don't, even, they don't even go to church and, and everything seems fine in their life and they've got what they want or what they need, which is rarely ever the case, but at least from our perspective. And, and it's easy to just sort of slip out of that spirit of worship and gratitude and thanksgiving towards grumbling and complaining and frustration. And it's a path that leads to bitterness Zechariah here, he, his first word, he, he could have, and this is, I would have been like, man, that was miserable. I couldn't talk for nine months. Could you imagine wives, like, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, that's, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe you'd be like, geez, I wish he would shut up for nine months, for nine minutes. But in my experience, it's, it's usually wives are like trying to, like pulling teeth, trying to get their husbands to speak a little bit and to say a few things. And imagine maybe for the first few days or first few weeks, Elizabeth's like, okay, you can knock it off now. Seriously, we need to talk. And he's like, and, and then like at some point, he's like, oh, okay, he really can talk. This is not just a charade. This isn't just a game. And uh, Zechariah could have just launched into this like, Come on. I mean, I just struggled to believe a little bit. Everybody would have struggled to believe that we're going to have a kid when an angel shows up and says, you're going to have a kid. Come on. We're old. And all of a sudden, I can't talk for nine months. What's the deal? He could have launched into this complaining session. Sheesh, give me a break a little bit. I'm just human. But no, his first words were praise. His first movement was upward in worship and gratitude toward God. You know, this Christmas season... Maybe things aren't the way you want them to be. Maybe that, that adult child that could easily make it to your family gathering has made up excuses and is not showing up. Um, maybe the, there's hurts that have stacked up that are freshly in front of your eyes. I, I, I don't know. Chances are none of us are going to have that perfect Hallmark card Christmas this, this winter. There, there's something that is not there that you wish would be there, or something that is in your life that you wish would not be in your life. 
And it can be easy to just hone in on what's not right. But just remember the words of Zechariah and take a step back. Even though there's, sure, there's stuff we could complain about. Take time to worship. Take time to express your gratitude toward God. Write down your blessings. What a great, uh, what a great family tradition if in the days leading up to Christmas or Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, you just went around the room with your kids or your grandkids or whoever's present and just say, let's, say, let's each say five things that we want to worship God for. Let's just say three things that we're thankful to God for right now. Let's just express our gratitude. Let's express our praise at His gracious gift this Christmas season. The final thing I noted was that this is a hope-filled announcement. This is a hope-filled announcement. These final verses just ratchet up the beauty of our salvation. In verses 76 to 79, I just want to read them again. He says, and you, child, so now this is where he switches his voice to speaking to John. So he's been, he's been worshiping God. Now he speaks to John, but there's still going to be worship interfused in here because he, can't just, he just can't help it. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. So he's speaking about John being the prophet of Jesus, the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of their salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us, to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Here, he wants God's people to know that hope has dawned. And John, the forerunner of the Messiah, his job will be to prepare the way for the Lord. And look at verse 77. He's going to give God's people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of of sins. This is a beautiful announcement. I just wrote down, this is a hopeful announcement for several reasons. This is hopeful because God was speaking. We already touched on that. God had spoken in the past through the prophets. Verse 70 says that. But now he was raising up another mouthpiece. He was speaking in a way that was coming in flesh and blood, another prophet. They hadn't seen a prophet for years in this way. This forerunner, this, this promised one who would be in the, the likeness of Elijah to come and announce the, the king was here. And so that means that the king is almost here. The Messiah is at hand. This is a hopeful announcement because God was revealing the knowledge of salvation. John's message was going to go and give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. That is, that they were going to understand God's saving work because God was going to forgive them. They were going to understand it in a very personal and profound way. Some of you have walked through, maybe have, have had experience in life, maybe early on where you read about certain things or, or you watched a movie about certain things or you had someone tell you stories about certain things, but you had never experienced those things yourself firsthand. You didn't know what it was like. It's like someone coming back from their favorite vacation 
Maybe they went to Disney World or they went and saw the, the Grand Canyon. And they're trying to describe to you just how awesome it is. And you're like, yeah, and you're politely like letting them show all their pictures. And you're like, okay, five was enough. And you're like, okay, it's a big hole in the ground. I don't know. But I've never met anybody who has gone to the Grand Canyon in person say, eh, it's a big hole in the ground. Because, again, I've only just heard. I've never been there. But as you stand over the majesty and the beauty of God's creation, or wherever that place is for you, the standing at the, at the, watching the power of the waves in the ocean, or in the, the peaceful quiet of the woods, Wherever that place is, and you're filled with wonder and awe, you're like, okay, somebody told me about this, and it was all right. It sounds like it was a pretty good deal, but to experience it firsthand, now this is a different story. And he says, you're going to have the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. You're going to get to experience the salvation firsthand. No longer are prophets just telling you, hey, God will save his people. Hey, God is going to redeem his people. You will have a firsthand knowledge if you receive the Messiah, you have a firsthand knowledge because your sins will be forgiven. It will go from your buddy showing you his pictures on his phone to you standing at the precipice of the Grand Canyon and you will experience what it is to be redeemed, to be forgiven. My brothers and sisters, that's my hope for you this Christmas, that you've experienced that firsthand, that you're not just hearing a pastor talk about it on Sunday mornings, that you're not just reading about it in, in stories, but that you've experienced it firsthand. Furthermore, if, you, if that's true of you, and you're sort of coming into this Christmas season sort of, nah, it's the same old thing we do every year. The pastor preaches out of the same passages every year, Luke 2, we know. My prayer is that God would reignite a joy. The Bible speaks of, uh, uh, I think David in, in Psalm 51 says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. May God do that this Christmas for you. This passage, is, this announcement is a hopeful announcement, finally, because of God's tender compassion. I just, I love verse 78. If I had to pick a favorite verse out of, Zechariah's worship-filled prophecy here. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us. You know, we, we said, you, you may have noticed here some of the same themes that we've, we talked about last week in the passage from Isaiah chapter 9. Darkness and light. The light dawning guiding our feet in the way of peace. Isaiah spoke about the Prince of Peace. This phrase, merciful compassion, is a, it's a beautiful phrase. The ESV, and I think the NIV, translated as the tender mercy of our God. I, just, I love that. That word tender is, is, is a word that speaks of deep, deep affection. We've talked about it before. It's used often of Jesus during his ministry. He had compassion. It's usually how it's translated. He saw the, those who were leprous. In one passage, he, Jesus looked out and he said he 
saw the people, and they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he was moved with compassion. That's this word here. But he combines it with the, the Greek word for mercy. This, this compassion that, that is at the very heart of God, it, it expresses itself in demonstrating mercy. Mercy is the idea of not giving someone what they deserve. Zechariah would have known as well as anybody that God's people did not deserve God's mercy. They had sinned against him. They'd rebelled against him. They had turned from him over and over and over throughout their history. And yet, because God at his very heart is a merciful and tender and compassionate God, the dawn from on high will visit us. I, I love that description of Jesus. The dawn from on high. What a beautiful picture. I, 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 don't, I don't know anybody who doesn't love to see a beautiful sunrise. Again, I know a lot of people who don't necessarily want to be up for the sunrise. But, but to see the beauty of a sunrise or a sunset, God's gorgeous handiwork on display. Jesus here is called the dawn from on high. New light was about to shine into the darkness. This was a new day, a new beginning for God's people. This dawn from on high would visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death. That phrase, shadow of death, where is that familiar to us from? Psalm 23. God was appearing to his people who had lived in that shadow of death, who had not known firsthand these promises in their realization. And he says, listen, this dawn is about to shine light on that valley that has obscured people from being able to come to me, to approach me freely. A new day has begun. This is... Zechariah's announcement. It's an announcement filled with worship. It's an announcement led by the Spirit of God. And it's an announcement that's filled with hope. I want to ask as we close here, how this, I wonder how this announcement should impact our lives. God's Word, I believe, is living and active. And, and this just wasn't from Zechariah him talking about his kid to the few people who were standing around. And it wasn't even just to those who were alive in that day. This is a proclamation for you and for me. And as he packs this announcement full of worship and hope, I think that there's a truth that we can take away from here, and it's this. We're reminded to live in light of God's tender mercy as those who have been rescued and forgiven. We're reminded to live in light of the tender mercy of God. I, I don't know about, about you. I, sometimes I wonder how normal my experiences are. You know, I, I think ever since you know, we're like teenagers, we wonder if we're normal people. And I don't care. I don't think you ever fully grow out of that. You're, you're kind of looking around like, anybody else do this? Or does anybody else think this way? I wonder um, 
sometimes just how, how I can so easily be distracted and pulled away from the tender mercy of God. How easily I can be redirected towards, well, this isn't going right in your life. Or look at, look at how you've messed up. Surely God is upset with you today. Or even with other people. Look at how they don't measure up. Look at how they've messed up. And it's easy to be drawn away from this God who, who from his very heart, has this, this heart of tender compassion, tender mercy toward you and I. What would it do to our lives if we, we read it? And I didn't even ask Dan to, to put that in the, in the call to worship. We read it in John 15. John 15, 9, Jesus says, abide in my love. We read that this morning. What would it do to our lives, our marriages, our relationships, our church family, our witness in the community, if moment by moment we abided, rested, had this settled experience of God's immense love for us. Moment by moment, we were completely assured that there is nothing we could do to make God love us more, that he treasures us, that he, he has compassion on us. He has mercy for us. What would it do if from the moment I woke up to the moment my head hit the pillow at night, I lived in that? Now, we're, 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 we're still sinful people. It's just not going to happen, this side of glory. But part of sanctification, part of spiritual growth is coming to live more and more and more in that love. And you see, when we do, when we live as those who have been rescued by God, as those who have been completely forgiven by God, it completely changes the way that we live our lives among others. In fact, he even says sort of what it looks like in verses 74 and 75, that, that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, that we would serve him without fear. That, that, that because God loves us so much, because we've been rescued, because we've been forgiven, we're, we're not serving out of fear anymore, like, oh, he's going to be upset if I don't do this today. But we serve him out of love. We honor him out of love, and we serve other people without fear, out of a spirit of love. And then he said, to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. See, there's that picture again in the presence of God, living there before him, living and dwelling in his love for us. We serve him and we live a life of holiness that's pleasing to him. Zechariah here makes a beautiful announcement, a proclamation. All day long, our phones are going off, buzzing, dinging, giving notifications. And most of them, I would say about 97% of them, are useless. Things that we're not all that interested in or not all that important. But you know that one time during the day when your phone buzzes and you light up, maybe it's a, it's a message from your spouse to, to let you know that they love you. Maybe it's, it's news that you've been waiting for and you're so excited to read it. 
This Christmas, we're going to be hearing all kinds of messages. We have been. Announcements and proclamations and, hey, pay attention to this and, hey, look at this over here. Let me encourage you this morning to be willing to push those aside as best you can and listen to the one announcement that truly does make a difference this Christmas. This one announcement that hopefully has changed your life and will continue to change your life. But this one announcement that if you've never heard before, I promise you, it will change your life. There'll be a few of us up front who would love to pray with you and tell you more about this proclamation of God's mercy and God's love that has visited us from on high. We'd love to pray with you. Before we do that, I'd like to just pray together as we close. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for Zechariah's announcement of the good news, the good news of Christmas. Christmas as you define it, not as our culture has defined it and made it so, so busy and so frantic and so crazy. It's this announcement that because of your merciful compassion, because of your tender mercy, the light has dawned. For those living in darkness today, God, I pray that the dawn of Jesus Christ would awaken their hearts and they would see just how much he loves them, just how precious his death upon the cross and his resurrection truly is. That that would become real for them, that they might trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. Lord, I pray for those of us for whom this message may be familiar, in fact, maybe has become so familiar that it's lost its luster, lost its shine in our hearts. Lord God, would you give us fresh eyes to see May the dawn of Jesus Christ rise fresh in our hearts. May we abide in your love. May we live in your presence and rejoice that your tender mercy has come down through your son, Jesus Christ. Now may this bounteous God through all your life, be near you with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer you and keep you in his grace and guide you when perplexed and to free you from all ills in this world and the next. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.